0: This is The Doctor Is In, your bi-weekly podcast that discusses all things technical and not so technical. The Doctor Is In podcast is produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and sponsored by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST Editor Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and
1: the doctor himself, Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello and welcome to The Doctor Is In. I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. I want to talk about switches this time around, Joel, in particular antenna switches, which have been around since the days of Hiram Percy Maxim, when they yes. use the Frankenstein knife switches and that sort of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. To... I,
2: I started with those in the first you know...
1: <laughs> That was my transmit-receive switch. But they're much more sophisticated today, aren't they? They are. It's not as simple as it seems, is it? I mean, there are well, there are concerns. Yeah. Well, first of all, you only need an antenna switch if you have multiple antennas. That's right. <laughs> Pretty much. Although, actually. Or multiple feed lines going to different radios. I mean, you that, know.
2: Yeah. That's a different, yeah, that's yeah. a different thing. I guess I should back up a little bit and say it's a good idea to have a ability to switch the antenna output from your radio to an antenna. And then when you're not using it to a dummy load, and one of the reasons for that is it gives you a little additional lightning protection. It's not perfect, but it's sort of the the last tier of <laughs> that you yes. have. It can remove any current coming down the feed line from your uh, radio. Probably most amateurs have more than one HF antenna, and I think that's a great idea. I mean... Some people need them because they point in different directions. Some people need them because uh, they work for different bands. Whatever reason you do, it's unlike uh, horizontal and vertical antennas. But the one nice thing is if you're operating at night and the band seems dead, it's very difficult to tell whether your antenna fell down in the dark or whether the band is dead. So if you have two antennas, you switch to the other one, and if it sounds about the same, then you say, oh, the band is dead. If there's signals yes. on that one, say, oh, my antenna fell down. So that that's a good uh, good test facility to
1: have. I only have one antenna at home, but there are times when I've had to uh, for HF. And that was really interesting to me to be able to switch. In fact, in one case, I had a horizontal dipole and I had a vertical, to be able to switch between them and notice the fluctuations of the same signal being received on the vertical versus the horizontal. Uh, That was fascinating to me.
2: And that illustrates the reason why Diversity reception is popular in some corners, um, having both available and automatically switching to the one with the strongest signal. That's particularly helpful in um, data modes where you can't kind of interpolate between syllables as well. Yes. And many uh, commercial and military radio teletype stations have three three or four different antennas, sometimes on different frequencies even, uh, operating simultaneously and automatically switching to the one that provides the best signal. That works better in the commercial world where you don't have many close-in interfering signals, because it's very easy to have the diversity switching switch to an interfering signal that happens to be strong rather than the one you want, yes. whereas if you own the frequency, it's less of a problem. But it still can be useful, and some, some have had good luck with it.
1: If you are switching between antennas at your operating position, now, you could have a just a mechanical switch that you're going ka-chunk, 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 you know, switching from one to the other. Or you could have an electromechanical one where you're just manipulating controls or, in some cases, your computer's even doing it yep. and switching antennas. Are there any particular concerns from one to the other?
2: Well, not
1: really. I mean, the, the uh,
2: remote one is very good if you have a long transmission line run. It makes it easier to afford a very good kind of transmission line from the switch to the radio that will have minimal loss. If you had to have five lines there, you'd want to spend as much money on each one. But having a good lower-loss transmission line to the automatic switch uh, can be cost-effective and can pay for the switch, basically. So that, that makes a difference. Plus, sometimes it's easier to run one coax through the house and through the wall and so forth, thinking of my situation, than, than it is to run five.
1: So it's better in that case, and I agree with you because I've seen that happen. And in my own situation where it was great to have the switch remotely outdoors in a shielded enclosure or the switch was shielded itself. And then you would have a control line and then switch it out there rather than bringing all the coaxial cables into the house.
2: Absolutely. And in some cases, in many cases, you can get a version of the a switch that will allow the uh, relay switching voltage to go on the coax, too. So you don't even yes. have to put in a control line. You hook up one piece of coax, and you're done. Switch and it can, right on the coax. And if you only have one, you can afford some really good coax. So that's that makes it worthwhile.
1: Whether the switch is remotely installed or at your operating position, what about isolation? Because they're often rated by how many dBs of isolation from port to port.
2: Well, it's interesting. That is not in my opinion, terribly important when you're using it to switch antennas. I mean, if the isolation is 30 dB or 40 dB, uh, that means a 1,000th or a 10,000th of your signal is going to the wrong antenna. But it'll still go someplace, and you probably won't even notice. If it's if the isolation is very poor, it can reduce your front-to-back ratio from a Yagi because you have some other antenna radiating in some other direction, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden you have signals that you don't expect to see. But 30 to 40 dB is probably better than the Yagi can do anyway, so you probably won't notice that that so much. So that's not a big problem. Where it does become a problem is going the other direction if you're switching radios to an antenna. Because here you have a radio putting out 100 watts and you have a number of other radios designed to receive microwatts to milliwatts hooked to the same switch. And if the energy gets coupled through the switch, you can very easily fry the input stages of your receiver in the radios that aren't transmitting. That's what's always scary to me about that arrangement. Yeah. Yes. People do it all the time and haven't had much in the way of trouble with it. But I think it's worth looking at the uh, specs of any switch you're considering and look at what the isolation is. Just I hate to do numbers on this because people aren't taking notes while they're driving, let's say, I hope. But a typical isolation – that good switches have is 40, 50 dB or so at HF, and it tends to go down with frequency. As yes. You'd expect. So the, the question is, how much energy can you stand to get into your receiver front end without destroying it? And unfortunately, manufacturers, for some reason, have been very reluctant to provide that information. I very. Guess.
1: I rarely see it.
2: Yeah. The, the last one I've seen is a sticker on the back of a Collins 75A4 from 1957 <laughs> that says 50 volts. Maximum (laughs) 50. Okay. That that translates to one watt, I think, something. So if you're using a a 75A4, it's probably not a problem. No. But if you have a more modern solid-state rig, not only the solid-state stuff, but the input attenuator with little half-watt resistors in them. Yes. Can't take an awful lot of power either. But one data point we do have is ARL lab testing for product reviews for many years has done uh, intermodulation distortion testing on receivers with signals at up to 10 milliwatts, 10 dBm. So any receiver that's been through that testing program is safe to use up to 10 milliwatts, assuming that the sample we tested is comparable to the other one. So then the question is, you know, how much room do you have above that? Well, I I did some measurements at W1AW while it was transmitting a kilowatt on all of its six bands or seven, I don't know how many bands it was doing, but I took some unused antennas and measured the power coming down, and it was as high as 20 milliwatts. Now, the reason I mention that is some W1AW equipment has lost front ends over time. Now, it could be because of the signal coupled from other antennas delivering a kilowatt 50 feet away, right? or it could be from lightning strikes, and I don't know how to tell the difference. I assume somewhere between 20 dBm and 10 dBm is a threshold, and 10 dBm is safe, and 20 dB may not be. So you pick your number with care, but that gives you an idea. So that's pretty easy to work if you put out 100 watts that's uh 20 dBW which is 50 dBm and if you have 40 dB of isolation that gets you to 10 dB and that leaves, leaves you No margin. (laughs) None. No. So you probably want a a switch that delivers at least 50 dB of isolation. The other thing is it's important to set up your station so that you don't couple around the switch. And what that means is make sure the shields of your coax are well soldered to the connectors and that the back shell of the coax connectors are tightly snugged up to the switch. And I recommend just giving a little bit of a twist with a pair of pliers, and then it won't vibrate off when you least expect it. And it's important to note that that's with a 100-watt transmitter, and that's the place to put the switch. In my opinion, instead of going from there to the antenna, go from there to your linear amplifier, switch at the 100 watt level rather than the 1500 watt level. If you can Oh, I see it. what you're
1: saying. OK,
2: because uh, presumably, like if you only have one linear amplifier and the different radios go into it, that will work well. If you have separate linear amplifiers for each radio, as some contest stations do, you need
1: additional isolation. So you have to take that into account. Well, that brings up the topic of hot switching. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't want a hot switch. You're the doctor. Tell them about hot switching
2: and why it's a yeah. bad thing. Yeah, you don't want to switch antennas while the key is down. Okay. Because two things will happen, probably. First thing will happen is you'll throw a great arc in the switch, which will cause the switch to stop working, probably. <laughs> <laughs> or arc weld together or something. I'm not sure exactly what will happen, but it's not good for the switch. But more importantly, the switch costs 100 bucks, and the radio costs thousands. It, it momentarily removes the load from the radio while you're switching. And while most radios are prepared to deal with mismatched loads, often they can't do it in the middle of a dot or a dash, which is what you do if you switch when it's hot. So, so have everything settle down and, and switch antennas in between having your key down or your voice going radio. You don't want to switch while the... Energy is going through this switch. You want to switch
1: in between bursts of energy. Lest you burn things up and
2: burn things up and burn
1: up expensive radios. radios. Exactly. And switches. And I don't know which will go first. I guess if the radio goes, the switch will probably be safe. <laughs> <laughs> but your bank account won't be. Right. And that's, let's hear from DX Engineering. Okay.
3: And we will be back. Our fellow hams have told us how much they love receiving the DX Engineering catalog. It's 132 pages of amateur radio heaven, packed with competitively priced equipment. You'll find everything from multiband Yagis to whip antennas, the latest base transceivers to mobile radios, and every accessory under the sun. But the catalog only represents a small part of what DX Engineering offers. When you visit dxengineering.com, you'll find thousands of items from trusted names like Icom, Yesu, Kenwood, and Elenco. There's world-famous antennas from OptiBeam, E-Antennas, and M-Squared, Roan and American Towers, plus many more. And shop a wide selection of innovative DX Engineering brand products. They're designed and manufactured by our team of amateur radio enthusiasts for hams just like you. Plus, you get the fastest shipping in the ham universe, and shipping is free on most orders over $99. Experience ham radio heaven at dxengineering.com. That's dxengineering.com. And we're
1: back with a question, as we always are. Okay. This one's from Bill, WA6SZE, and he's asking I've been told to coil relay control lines and rotator wire into, and he's putting this in quotes, air core chokes. To keep RF from triggering unwanted actions in the station. Is there any truth to this? If so, how many turns of what diameter should I use for a 20, 15 and 10 meter tri-band Yagi antenna?
2: Well, that's a good question. And, um, you know, it's a fact that any conductor near a transmitting antenna can pick up RF and conduct it wherever it goes. And of course, these wires go into where your radio equipment is. So that's where it'll bring it. Usually the worst offender is the outside of the coax shield going right to the antennas. And by the way, a separate question is there's some benefit to running the control lines inside the tower if it's a typical triangular tower as opposed to outside. That provides some measure of shielding and also lightning protection. True. All the way down to the bottom of the tower if you can do that. But still there will be places from the tower to the house and so forth where it can pick up uh, RF as well. And the fact that those wires pick up RF may or may not result in a problem. And if the equipment that's on the end of those wires is properly designed, it, it shouldn't Uh, be a problem. The wire, the equipment should be resistant to such problems. So if you don't have any problems, you don't need to worry about it too much. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Still, there's no harm in choking off RF current from where it's not supposed to be, especially if you have excess cable that needs to be
1: coiled anyway. You don't want to let it run loose and cause havoc. No, that's
2: right. It can chase the lawnmower around or whatever. (laughs) And you might as well put the coils outside the house to keep the RF outside. True. And you can use the coils, if you place them properly, as
1: a drip loop also, which is good. So you get a twofer out of this. So you you choke the RF and you choke the water. Exactly so to speak. Right.
2: Exactly right. Now, if the loops are too close to the antenna, the RF will just couple around it. And if they're inside the house, um, the RF will just couple out of, out from the wires before the loops and couple into things. So it might result in RFI to your telephone or... Uh, resetting your kitchen radio buttons, which I've been known to do.
1: Yes, hair dryers <laughs> coming on. I mean, who knows? Yes. It's... I actually burned up a hair dryer once with RF. That's right. You told me about that. <laughs> I remembered. I won't tell you the name of the hotel where I was staying. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But anyway, one of, the, one of the adventures of having doing portable operation for hotel room. <laughs> but, but there's no magic formula in how many turns. For those bands, I look at the um, ARL antenna book, has a nice section on transmission line chokes designed to keep RF off of your coax or stop it from running down your coax shield. So those same dimensions should work for any wires that are coupled to. For those bands, two choices that make sense to me are 12 turns on a four and a quarter inch diameter, piece of PVC pipe, single wire, single layer wound, or four Four turns in a single layer with a diameter of 6.6 inches will also work well for those bands. Either of these will work better than a bunched winding of eight turns with a 6.6-inch diameter secured with tie wraps. But that will provide some attenuation and maybe be easier and maybe enough for any problem you might have. So you can try each of those and maybe the last one first, and if it doesn't work, you try the other. Again, these are based on data in the ARL antenna book, so if you have other bands to worry about, they, they list them by frequency and by diameter of pipe and so forth. So there's all kinds of comms. So there's no reason not to do it, but chances are good that you don't need to. Okay, good advice.
1: Thank you, Joel. My pleasure.
0: If you have a question for the doctor, email us at doctor at ARRL.org. The Doctor Is In podcast is sponsored by DX Engineering at www.dxengineering.com. Background music provided by Purple Planet at www.purple-planet.com. This podcast is copyright ARRL. All rights are reserved. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening.